And as we begin, let me ask if you've ever been to the movies and had this kind of experience where you've just watched this epic film and the ending came and you're just kind of sitting there like in awe of just what happened. Like that was an awesome story of how cool it was. And then the credits start to roll for a quick moment and you start to wonder, oh man, I wonder what would happen if like they made another one. Like what comes next? What happens after this? And then as the credits are starting to roll, you're just starting to get out of your seat. It pops back. And you get that quick epilogue, right? You get that little snapshot of what might be in the future of that story. Like the the main characters, they've just fought this maybe monumental battle. And the battle's won, and then you're wondering, well, now what? What would that look like to live on and continue through that? And the short epilogue gives you a quick glimpse of the now what. Now, that's something of what John chapter 21 is. It's an epilogue. If you noticed last week, John rolls his credits after the resurrection in chapter 20 by telling the purpose of his book. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, if you were to read that, it certainly seems like this is a book in. It ends here. But then the chapter after this, chapter 21, starts with, After this... Jesus revealed himself again. So it's kind of a a quick snapshot of what this looks afterwards. Now, we looked at that part of the epilogue already. If you were here on Easter, Jesus has this beachside breakfast with his disciples after they just had this huge catch. So they've been out fishing. Jesus calls them to the shore, uh, and they eat the fish that they've just caught. So this week, we're going to finally finish John's gospel by looking at the end of that epilogue, the Easter Sunday. That was, we might say, the beginning of the epilogue. And here is the, the now what, the ending of John's gospel, finally, as we finish. Again, the text is John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. These are the words of God. Let's give attention to them this morning, church. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one whom, uh, who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said then, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but that if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are many, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The word of God for his people. What a beautiful way to end John's gospel. 
Let's pray. Father, what a journey it has been as we've looked at the testimony of one of your apostles who walked with you, who sat with you, that leaned upon you and asked intimate questions with you. Lord, we've learned so much, and I pray that you would help us to continue to learn from you this morning. In this last uh, this last lesson, as we uh, might call it, the, the epilogue of John's gospel, we come to you asking for your grace upon us, that we might see more clearly the things that John has seen, the things that he's telling us. Let us see even deeper, Lord. Help us to have an intimate relationship with you today and help us to be able to follow you. Help us to be able to take John's uh, words seriously as he's accounted for us, that you call us to follow you. Help us, Lord, we ask. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So in a nutshell, we could say that the now what of John chapter 21 is simply this. Follow me. Jesus says, follow me very plainly to Peter in verse 19. Then when Peter literally follows Jesus, who probably began to kind of walk off or trail off a little bit, he noticed that John also is following Jesus. And Peter wants to know what John is up to following Jesus after Jesus told Peter to follow him. What are you doing, John? He told me to follow you. And Jesus says, what is that to you? You follow me. This is what he tells Peter. Now, this little encounter seems like kind of a passing comment. This little encounter gives us actually a big picture of our human condition of about worrying about other people's walk with the Lord more than our own. Kind of the, the speck in other people's eye, the log in our own kind of idea. Why are we worrying about what other people think and what they are doing? And Jesus very simply tells us to follow him. It's a very simple command. Now, this was the call of all the disciples that were called to follow him, but especially the twelve. The twelve apostles who have been called by Jesus. And at the beginning of their call, he told them that while they were fishing, remember they're out fishing, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers. Not a fish, but fishers of men. Now, here they're back fishing again after the resurrection, but they're fishing for fish. And Jesus wants to know, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? He says this in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, which, again, we said is fish. They're eating the fish that they just caught after a hard day of fishing. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, commentators are unsure what Jesus is actually referring to when he says these. Do you love me more than these? Is it his disciples? We might say it this way. Do you love me more than these disciples? Is it a comparison between the disciples' love, maybe? Do you love me more than these disciples love you? Is that what he's saying? Or... Is it the fish? Could it be the fish? Better put, the vocation of fishing, which the fish represent. Do you love me more than this experience of breakfast on the beach from an extremely satisfying catch of fishing? Now, I don't want to be too dogmatic about this stance, but I think it's probably the fish, actually. Because that's what Peter was confident in. Peter knew how to fish, and he knew it well. And there was a lot of connections between that vocation and the things that Jesus has called him to do in following him. He knew how to fish, and he knew how to do it well, so well that he even did it for a living. Okay, But Jesus has called him at an earlier time to follow him, and he would make him a fisher of men. Okay, This is kind of in contrast to a fisher of fish. Not a fisher of fish, but a fisher of men. And that's something that Peter had much less experience and confidence in. 
Peter wasn't that confident in leading other people in fishing for men. And certainly he had less confidence at this point, maybe more than any other point, because he just denied Christ three times. Three times Peter has denied Jesus. Who was he to be going and leading people to Christ, the one that he has just denied? Think about where Peter's heart would have been as Jesus is having this conversation with him. Doubtless, this is what was on his mind. The pink elephant in the room that no one has talked about yet was that Peter the bold, Peter the confident, has just cowardly backslidden under pressure. He blew it. Everyone knows it, but no one's talking about it. Perhaps he was replaying the conversation in his, in his mind before the denial, like leading up to it. He, here's a quick glimpse of where we've already been in John's gospel. In John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Remember all the disciples, they're in distress because Jesus says he's going away. Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. Okay, You cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. That's where Peter's been. That's where his heart is probably at right now as he's talking with Jesus and grieved as the conversation starts to go on. So here is Peter who's probably still feeling ashamed of his failure to follow Christ, feeling completely inadequate to jump back into ministry. And Jesus asks him three times, Peter, son of John, do you love me? Three denials matched with three inquiries of love. Do you love me? Three affirmations of love. Lord, you know I love you, but paired with them, three commands. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. There's a lot of threes going on there, right? A lot of threes that probably had connections to something else that happened three times, right? Okay. Now, there are a few variations of these words in these sets of three. The same word for love isn't used all six times. Jesus uses the word love three times. And Peter uses the word love three times, but these are all uh, different or at at times different words for love. And the same word for sheep isn't used all three times either. And some commentators have ran with that and put a lot of emphasis on the variations of the word, saying that each time they said, I love you, they're saying something different. Like uh, it's a different kind of love and they're kind of going in different directions. So it's they're saying essentially Peter and Jesus are saying three different things each time they say, I love you. Or, or of course, I've loved you. Do you love me? Now, it's my view that these sets of three are all actually saying the same thing. And that is love. Just a very simple understanding. Well, I shouldn't say simple. A full understanding of love. It captures a lot there. And it's basically this. The pattern repeats three times. Do you love me? Yes, I do then shepherd the sheep, okay? That's the essential repeated theme that happens three times. And I don't want to go in a bunch of different directions. I want to stay centered on that. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Then shepherd the sheep. Now, just as Peter's denial had a slight variation in his wording each time he denied uh, Jesus, the essence of the denial isn't different each time he uh, did this. The, the, the emphasis isn't that we should put that well, G, uh, Peter denied Jesus three different ways. No, the emphasis should be on the fact that he did it three times. Okay, You did it three times, Peter. You blew it three times. So that's what we really need to hone in on here. The emphasis is not on the variation. It's on in the simplicity of it happening 
three times. So we're starting to see the bones of what's going on as, as we connect the dots of these sets of three, all the three that's going on, right? Now, at first glance, it might seem like Jesus is kind of throwing Peter's failures back up in his face and questioning his allegiance. But if you really look at it, I don't, I don't think that that's what Jesus is doing. He's being much more tender with that. Jesus is actually reinstating Peter to his original task to disciple, but rooting it especially in love. It's love that's going to be the basis of you being a disciple, Peter, is what Jesus is doing here. Now, notice after Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus doesn't say, like maybe some of us in the room would say, yeah, right. Yeah, right, Peter. Do you not remember what you were saying a couple days ago? You weren't saying that you love me. You didn't even know me a couple days ago. right? That's where our hearts would start to go. But Jesus is much more tender with Peter than that. He says, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Okay, feed my sheep. Do what you've been called to do originally. Feed my sheep. Be a fisher of men. Now, one way that we can look at this is that Jesus is combating Peter's failure in following Jesus with love. Like Peter's scared of being a fisher of men because he doesn't understand that. He's not confident in that. And he's, he's probably shaking in his boots Wondering, how in the world can I do this? I can't even affirm that I know Christ, much less disciple other people. And what Jesus is doing here is combating that fear that Peter has with love. He's rooting it all back in love. He's speaking to his wounded confidence that Peter has with love. And scripture tells us, perfect love casts out all fear. This is what Jesus is doing. So Jesus wants to show Peter that for every denial... All three of them. There has now also been a match reaffirmation of love and a recommissioning to discipleship sanctioned by Jesus. Jesus is showing Peter what he's doing in real time. He's reinstating him, putting him back where he should. So it does not mean that Jesus is putting his proverbial finger on Peter's wounds. Okay? That's not what he's doing. He's not uh, just putting his finger on his wounds and being mean to, to kind of like put some PD, PTSD there with the number three. Like three times I'm going to poke my finger there. You know what three is, right? That's not exactly what he's doing. That He's actually being much more tender, that, uh, tender than that and doing something to help Peter. The fact that Peter is grieved, as it says in verse 17, does not negate the grace of the event. This is a, a gracious thing that Jesus is doing to Peter. He, this is the, the healing touch of love and grace, and it's what Peter needed, even if it might have not been what Peter was asking for. And sometimes that's what we need. We need the loving touch of God to come and put his finger right on our wound where we initially would say, no, 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 no don't touch that. that. That'll hurt. But once we realize that once he touches us there and he goes there, we realize that his touch is actually a healing touch. When he comes to us in love and grace and he goes straight to our wound where we would normally say, don't touch that. That's actually what we need the most. And that's what Peter is having happen to him right now. Jesus is putting his finger right where it hurts on Peter. But it's the thing that he needs because it's going to bring his healing. So Peter is being restored to a disciple. He's being reinstated to this apostleship. And he's also recommissioned, sent back out to feed the sheep. Feed the sheep is what he tells Peter. Now, that word sheep is plural, and it's translated in other places as flock or sheepfold. So Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will shepherd the sheep. It's talking about a community of people, and it's talking about the church. He's telling Peter to care for the church. Feed them the word of God. That's what following Christ looks like for Peter. 
But that isn't all that it will look like, if you noticed in the text, because Jesus gives another prophetic word about his future. Truly, truly, he says. And he goes on to tell Peter, actually, how he's going to die. He tells Peter how he's going to die. Now, this is interesting because, as I just read a moment ago to you from John 13, where Peter volunteered his death for Jesus, even before Jesus himself died, he, would, he said that he would follow him even unto death. But Jesus told him that he couldn't follow him then, but that he would follow him afterward. After what? After the crucifixion. So there's probably more going on here than just the discipleship element of follow me. Follow me for Peter includes martyrdom. And Peter is understanding this at this point. Because right after Peter is told he's going to die here, Jesus says, follow me. It's a little scary for Peter. But if you read the narrative... There seems to be a literal request to follow Jesus as well, and that's often what John does. There will be a literal way to read this, and then there's a deeper spiritual way to read this. So Jesus said, follow me, and then I, I believe he started to walk off. If you read the text in verse 20, or 19 and 20, it reads like that. It says, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So they started to walk and kind of go in a different direction, and John is following Jesus and Peter. So we have this image of Jesus telling Peter specifically to follow him, and then Jesus turns to walk off with Peter and John following also. And Peter's clearly bothered by this. Something about it doesn't sit right with Peter. If Peter's going to be told how he's going to die and then be asked to follow Jesus, he wants to hear John's death prophecy too, doesn't he? Does he think that he can just follow us casually along and not have to swallow these hard truths like I just swallowed? I was just told how I was going to die. What about this guy? Okay, that's what it says. Lord, what about this man? Isn't it funny he doesn't refer to him as John? He doesn't say, what about John here? He says, what about this man? We might say in our common day language, uh, get it up to speed. What about this guy? What's he doing here? What is his death prophecy that we are going to see about him? And it says in verse 22. 22 says, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. I love that. What is that to you? That's the question that we all should be asking ourselves when it comes to following Jesus in community. And we start to look at other people. What is that to you? I told you to follow me, is what Jesus says. So the moment that we take our eyes off of Jesus and following him is the moment that we begin to sink. This just goes to show that every walk with Jesus is going to look a little bit different. Everyone in here is going to have a different walk with Jesus. You're all called to follow him, but it's going to look different for different people. So as you creep on Facebook profiles, and I know you do, I do it too, everyone does it. As you creep on Facebook profiles, you judge in gossipy conversations late in the afternoon, talking about this and that, and your prayer requests that are really just gossip, and pondering out the windows and looking at your neighbors and thinking, well, what about that guy, Jesus? Realize that Jesus' answer to you is the same as to Peter. What is that to you? I told you to follow me. Are you following me? Are you doing what I told you to do? Have you have you mastered that well? Why are you worrying about what they are doing? Now, kids in the room, we have a couple of them. When you look around at others and it feels like they aren't doing the same amount of work that you are and you're tempted to tell mom and dad, remember, Jesus says to you, what is that to you? Right? What is that to you? Just follow 
me. Just follow mom and dad. Children, obey your parents. <laughs> now, we have to ask ourselves, and this is something that I started to struggle with too, is I started to think about um, not thinking about other people's problems and what they're going through. We need to ask this question. Well, how does this jive, how does this go together and uh, come together with tend my sheep? Because that's what Jesus has also just told Peter, tend my sheep. Because it almost seems like Jesus is saying, mind your own business, doesn't it? And if Peter's business is pastoral work, it's ministry, tending the sheep, then isn't it his job to ask those questions about the people around them? Isn't it tending sheep to ask what this sheep, namely John, is doing following Jesus? How does this come together? Well, here is how we should look at this and how we should think about it. It really all does come down to the heart. It comes down to the heart. What is Peter's motivation for asking about John. Is he asking about John's fate because he cares about John's fate? It doesn't seem like it. He's asking because he's just been told that he's going to die an undesirable death and misery loves its company. He can't help but just ask about John's death too because he wants to be in the know. That's often why we ask such questions. We just want to be in the know. So by asking about John, he isn't feeding him spiritually or tending to him spiritually. He's asking because he thinks that he's somehow going to benefit from other people's knowledge. And this is what we're doing when we're creeping on the Facebook. This is what we're doing when we're asking those probing questions that are really none of our business. We want to feel more secure because we know more about a situation. And that's a false security that Jesus is actually combating here and saying, don't worry about that. Follow me. Okay, So out of insecurity, he's inquiring so that he might feel more safe through being in the know. And we tend to do this too. We do it a lot, church. I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. We have to realize that the line is very thin between giving the sheep food and making the sheep food. See the difference? It's a huge difference. There's a huge difference between giving the sheep food, feeding your fellow brothers and sisters, and making your brothers and sisters food, spiritually feeding off of them in their situation. Your walk with Christ is about you and Jesus. And the moment that you try to incorporate someone else's experience into your own and ask God, well, why did this happen to them and it not happen to me? Or vice versa. Why did this happen to me and it not happen to them? Is the moment that you begin to feed off of your neighbor's experience and, or you, you feed off of your neighbor's experience and you feed on them spiritually, right? You're not feeding your neighbor. You're feeding off of your neighbor. Do you see the difference? It's, it's really big, but it's subtle, isn't it? Because we ask all these kind of questions because we want to we wanna help them. We want to know about them. But are we really asking so that we can help them or are we just asking so that we can have that knowledge just in case we might need it one day? Okay? So it seems Peter, and we often too, are still having a hard time, even at the end of John's gospel, doesn't it? Right? He's just been reinstated. He's told he's going to feed the sheep, and he's still having these kind of ongoing struggles. So the epilogue doesn't tell us the whole story of the now what, but we do get a quick glimpse of Peter still struggling. Right? It gives us a quick glimpse of how Peter's life is going. Now, this is young Peter, and I want to contrast in a second an older Peter. So here in John, we see a younger Peter. A Peter who, though he's just been reinstated as leader, still tends to walk where he wants to, like Jesus said he would when he's younger. He does what he wants. He asks the questions that he wants to ask. But thankfully, Jesus will tell Peter and all his disciples that they are to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
the one who will bring about radical change in the way that Peter begins to pastor, the way that Peter begins to feed the sheep and care for the sheep and tend to the flock of God among them. Now, further in the New Testament, we get a more full picture. If you keep reading the Bible, the Bible doesn't stop at John's Gospel. You get a, a longer story of the, the what now, of the ministry of the apostles as they move forward in the church. So further in the New Testament, we get a more mature picture of Peter, one closer to his death that Jesus prophesied. Right? And lots of things would change with Peter as he got older. Other people would dress him, and he, he would have this a way about him that isn't so um, self-centered and always doing what he wants, and it's actually motivated a lot more on what other people are wanting. He's serving others in a sense. So he tells his fellow elders, the God-ordained leaders in the church in his epistle, as he's writing to people to shepherd the flock. He tells them this in 1 Peter 5. You can turn there if you want. 1 Peter 5, 1-11, Peter says this to his fellow elders. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter means that. He's seen some stuff with the sufferings of Christ. He says, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Think about that image. Shepherd the flock of God. Sounds very similar to something else, doesn't it? Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He says, shepherd the flock of God to the elders that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter, he's speaking from experience. Think about this. And when the chief shepherd, that is Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, he says. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here you see the heart of a man who has himself been broken beat down, wearied, but also restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. Peter has seen some stuff. He's went through a lot. A man calling the elders to be fishers of men, just like he's been called, to feed the sheep, shepherd the flock. This man experienced the heart of the chief shepherd as he walked with him, who led him not under compulsion, but willingly. He even let Peter deny him three times, but still came to him as a good shepherd does, and loved him tended to him, cared to him by example. Jesus showed Peter an example of what being a shepherd looks like. Not domineering, but still having dominion forever and ever. He wasn't out. What Peter was doing was not out of the control of Jesus. He just didn't domineer his leadership. Now, Peter, of all people, knew what anxiety felt like. I guarantee he felt anxiety as he was talking to Jesus. And Jesus is asking him, do you love me? Peter knows what it feels like to hang, have anxiety, but he says, cast it on the Lord because he cares for you. 
Peter knows that. He knows what it's like to be cared for by a good shepherd. He knew he couldn't carry that weight like he tried to when he was younger. Peter knew from experience that the same kinds of sufferings are pretty universal. It might have felt like he was the only one with a grim death death sentence early in life, but he realized later that everyone has a lot. They're all different, but they're all alike too. Everyone has their day. And Peter's realized this at this later point in his life when he's closer to his death, like Jesus prophesied. Peter knew what it was like to backslide horribly, deny Christ even, but then be restored, as it says, confirmed, strengthened, and established. And do you know how Peter knew all this? Because he loved Jesus. Peter had an intimate, close relationship with Jesus, and Jesus loved him. He knew what it was like to be loved by Jesus, and he knew what it was like to love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you will follow him all the days of your life. You will. You will stumble? Yes, for sure. Every one of you in here will stumble. You will trip up. You will need restored. Absolutely. You will need it. You'll go through it every single week, it seems like. Confess your sins. I need assurance of pardon. He'll do it every day. That's the pattern of the Christian life, and Peter knows this. But he wants you to understand and emphasize the restoration element, the reinstating that Jesus does to us as he comes to us. So the moral of the story is just that. We need the God of all grace who's called us to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus to himself restore us. You can't restore yourself. We need him to restore us confirm us, strengthen us, and establish us. And when we follow him, we follow the one who has dominion forever and ever. The one that's in control, the one that we can trust, the one who continues to work miraculously in our lives so that if we printed out the grace of God on paper, kind of like John talks about, if just our own lives, if we decided to make a book about it, think about that. Grace upon grace upon grace. If we decided to make a book about every time you've been graced by the Lord, the world could not contain the number of books that would be written just in your life. Think about that. So much grace. So church, to follow Jesus, we need a confidence in Christ that is rooted in love alone. Love alone. That's what ministry is about. That's what loving people is about. The prerequisite to ministry isn't understanding people well. It's not even a a, a theology degree. That's not the prerequisite to ministry. The prerequisite to ministry Jesus wants Peter to get this, and he wants you to get this. It's love. Love is the only prerequisite. And beloved, if you want to follow the man who says to follow me, you have to first answer his question. Do you love me? Let's pray. Father, we do love you. You know our hearts. You know that we love you. But at the same time, you also know that we need to say, help us love you more. Just like we believe you, but we need to believe you more. Help our unbelief, help our lack of love when we're slow to love others. Lord, help us to be centered upon your son Jesus, who empowers us and strengthens us and confirms us and allows us to live out the gospel and ministry. Help us to not be so concerned with other people's walks of holiness as we are our own. Help us to fiercely fight against the devil and the temptations that he might bring to us. Help us not to be tempted to look in other people's lives, but to to look at our own. And when we have our own established and strengthened and confirmed, only then can we start to love the sheep, to care for the sheep, to feed them. Help us not to feed off of each other, but to feed each other. 
Lord, we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus, who's able to keep us from stumbling. We ask it all in his name. Amen. Amen.